It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm Hal Stewart. This is my voice. Welcome to it. I'm hosting in place of Bryce Dunn and uh, very pleased to be doing so. Thank you very much, chaps, for actually uh, allowing me to do this. The chaps being Chris Williams. Hello, Chris. Hello, Hal. How are you? Yeah, good to speak to you as ever. And Manu Vaith. Manu. Hey, how's it going? Excellent. Thank you both very much for joining me today. We've got quite a lot on the agenda to get to. So, I will briefly tell you a little bit about myself for those that have never heard my voice before, and then we'll get straight to it because there is, as I say, so much to cover. Uh, but I am a radio broadcaster, been broadcasting on various different radio stations for around about 15 years, yet I'm only remembered for one error on an episode of Pointless, which is a BBC program where I made a complete fool of myself. So there we go. That's me in a nutshell, and you can probably still find that on YouTube. Now let's get straight to the first topic. It is, of course, pre-season. We've had the World Cup. It's never too early to preview, though, the Bundesliga. In fact, it's never too early to preview anything. As anyone who listened to Manu talking about the Qatar World Cup in a previous podcast can attest to, just the four and a half years to go on that one. By the way, I'm tipping England uh, to win both that and the Euros. It's coming home. Next <laughs> uh, so, first up, We've got to talk about the German national football team, the DBF. Bit of a crisis following the fallout from the World Cup. Manu, what's your take on this? Yeah, I, I mean, um, it's never too late to to look back onto something either, isn't it? Um, mm. Because this has been a few weeks, and it's, it's a few weeks ago now, but at the same time, it's still very much in the headlines in Germany because of of the gravity of it. Um, we have to remember this is the first time since 1938 that a German national team did not finish in the top eight of a World Cup. And therefore, you know, there's a lot of talk about the things that went wrong, the, the decisions made by the national team coach, um, the decisions and the, the things said um, ahead of the World Cup um, by the, the, the president of the DFB. Um, as well as the sporting director, Oliver Bierhoff, right? And then, of course, the whole Erdogan and Özil affair. Um, we actually have a statement for the first time since the Erdogan affair by Mesut Özil. Remember, Gündogan spoke about it very quickly afterwards. So right now, they are in full crisis mode. And it's um, the fallout is, is is quite significant because of, of course, the way they played at this tournament. Um, this is, of course, the curse that the, the World Cup winner always goes out in the group stage the following tournament. But I mean, Germany, we all thought would be very much beyond that. I mean, Chris, how many times did we talk about the depth of this national team? And I think when you look at the squad, and this, I think this is probably the most upsetting thing for most people. They look at the squad and the players that were involved in this team and they say, well, how did we not go further with this team? I think everyone would have been happy if this would have been a team that was beyond, you know, the, the Senate. Um, that, that was not in, was overaged, old, sluggish, etc. But that's not, wasn't the case with this team. This team is very much still in its prime and there's a lot of young player, a new golden generation currently in the squad as well. So people are very, still very much uh, confused on how this could have happened to a side that is very talented. I mean, again, Chris, we had 53 players that could have potentially played for this team, right? Yeah, most definitely. And I, I'm starting to see Maybe a little bit of arrogance, which can be the undoing of a lot of teams. So, 
I think we talked at great length, didn't we, about the, the friendlies on the way up. Oh, yeah, it's just a friendly. It wasn't particularly good performance, but it's just a friendly. Um, it'll be a lot better when they get to the tournament itself, and it wasn't. So maybe the arrogance was shown throughout that. Then you hear the stories afterwards about um, the DFB having to turn a Wi-Fi off in the hotel because the players were um, up late playing Fortnite. Um, and and other such things. So I think the whole attitude going into this tournament was obviously we're the world champions, um, we're going to do quite well, and I think maybe they were unprepared. And squad-wise, and I know, Hal, um, you and I spoke about this about two weeks ago. There's a lot of stuff in England about, oh, Leroy Sané, Leroy Sané, Leroy Sané. And I think, Manu, we've spoken, um, and you've even wrote an article about it, that you know Leroy Sané wouldn't have made a difference because Joachim Love wouldn't have played him anyway. He took Julian Brandt, who got, was it nine or ten minutes? Um, I think maybe a little bit longer, but it wasn't much longer than that over the three games. So we would have been talking about Leroy Sonne not getting enough time. So I think it's the fact that the, maybe the setup he went with, the tactics were so different from the Confederations Cup last year where Germany played exceptionally well. And I think it was just a, well, it was a complete mess from top to bottom, wasn't it? Yeah, you point out a couple of things here that I, I want to touch on because, you know, I was at the World Cup. I was at the tournament and I followed the German national team. As long as they were in the tournament, we all expected, of course, that would be a lot longer. And um, speaking to people that were even longer with the team, and this is at the training camp, um, what really became apparent is that there almost was a rift between the two teams. And that was the 2017 Confederations Cup team that won the tournament, basically a walkthrough, right? And what was essentially um, a B team split into two teams because remember the U21 also won the tournament last summer, right? So you had those those players and then you had the players that won the 2014 World Cup. And the two apparently did not get along very well or were not integrated very well, which is on, on Joachim Löw. And um, I'll get to him in a moment. So it's a setup that reminds me very much of what happened in 1994 when Germany crashed out in the uh, quarterfinal of the 1994 World Cup in the United States, losing to Bulgaria 2-1. I mean, this is um, up until this World Cup was the greatest shame of any German national team. And um, back then, we, of course, had the issue that we had the 1990 team that won the World Cup and we had the, we had the um, privilege that the Germany was reunified. So there was a great East German national team as well that was had to be integrated. And that integration went very poorly as well. And it almost seems to be a repeat of those mistakes made back then. And then you add arrogance, which is, I, I think it's great that you bring that up, Chris, um, because there was a definite aloofness of Joachim Löw. I was in Sochi when he was hanging out on the, str- on the beach promenade, getting pictures taken of himself because he finally got his wish of being in Sochi and training his team there. And it's really interesting that you say that because there was almost like this aloofness by the national team coach that he sort of said, okay, well, I don't really have to coach this team. This is a great setup. We're just going to do the same thing at the 20, that we did at the 2014 World Cup, completely ignoring all the issues that were going on below him, you know, with the, with players not getting along with young players thinking like, look, we, we, we are the future. We have won the most recent tournaments. We should be playing more and they're probably right. And on top of that, him trying to integrate them in a setup, it is four two three one, which hasn't been used um, by the by the national team in a tournament since uh, twenty sixteen, and it's for my 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 opinion is an outdated setup. Um, trying to force players that he played with in the setup last year into this old setup, and it just didn't work. And then uh, maybe Chris, this is one for you, and I think you you're gonna get one uh, laugh out of this. The staff was 181 people at this World Cup. The German national team took 181 people to this tournament to um, take care of everything from scouting to training, etc. And Joachim Löw wasn't even involved in day-to-day decisions anymore. That's that's for me, that's for me, uh, you know, big symptom of what went wrong at this uh, World Cup. 181 people. Well, that, that's a lot. Now, um, Hal, we watched a game. I think it was a Portugal game over lunch one afternoon. Um, you mm. watched every single game at the World Cup. What, what did you make of Germany? Uh, well, the talk in the UK was obviously Leroy Sane must go. But actually, I uh, was a huge fan of Lars Stindl, not just uh, during 
Germany's previous success. You mentioned the Confederations Cup, but when I actually lived in Germany, I watched Hanover 96 when Lars Stindl was up and coming, uh, more of a midfielder there. He's sort of become a bit more advanced, and there was no talk about Lars. Um, am I wrong in thinking that he could have added something? I know that the problems here are far greater than just one player, although try telling the British media that it was all about uh, Leroy Sane. But hey, that's just one that I thought I'd throw out there. Yeah, it's a good one to mention. He was, of course, hurt, so that's why he didn't make the squad. But you, you're onto something, Hal, because when I watched Germany in the stadium, and this gets me back to the formation 4-2-3-1, the big issue I had was that Werner played a single striker, and Werner likes to drift out left. Right, because he usually plays at, in Leip at Leipzig. He plays with uh, Paulsen, big center forward, who can hold the ball for him and allows him to drift out wide. Right, because then he can drift back in, and there will be someone to give him the ball, and he can execute. Um, at the Confederations Cup, that striker will, would have been Stindl, who does something very similar because he drifts out and back and forth between midfield and attack. Right, he he's a very much a center player. He is not someone who goes out wide. So, so that's definitely something that was missing. And, and another player, you know, who did very, Wagner did very, uh, Werner did really well with was Sandro Wagner. And of course, maybe of the controversies of the players that were not taken, um, we should probably be talking more about him rather than Leroy Sané, because I think if you play Werner as a striker, you need someone to, par someone to partner him with. And I think that Wagner would have been probably been a better fit than any of the players Löw used at the tournament. That would have been interesting. bring Karsten Janke. It is going to be interesting because he's now ruled himself out, hasn't he? He had a, you know, mm. he threw his, um, he threw his teddy out the cot and said he was never going to play for Germany again. So that, that's quite interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what he said. But remember the Confed Cup, he was part of the setup that won the tournament. So I think. And I, I watched that partnership. I, I'm very much, I very much believe that Werner needs a partner when he plays up front. He's not a single striker. He can't play in a 4-2-3-1 simply because if he plays, he leaves too much room in the box. And, um, then there's no one there to, to execute or give him the room to, to re-go or drift back into the, the penalty area. So I think that was definitely one of the things that I've noticed sitting in the stadium, you know, in the stadium, it's really nice because where the press boxes are and where the press boxes were in Russia, you were really high up. So you got a really nice sweeping view of the, of the playing field. So you, you'd notice things that sometimes you miss on television. And I thought that was really something that struck me. It's like, why is he out left and who's in the box? So of course, Germany had what 70% ball possession on average and um, played all these played all these uh, wonderful attacking moves but now it was never a real good finish and I think that is something that they need to look at and I, I'm not saying bring back Sandro Wagner I think that's a thing of the past but they will have to find a formation that suits someone like Timo Werner better and um, maybe find him a partner that can play with him. Well Manu maybe it's not about the players you've probably heard that Karl-Heinz Rummenigge the Bayern Munich chairman never one to be quiet said that uh, Philip Lahm could give the DFB the leadership that it lacks, saying at the moment it is run by amateurs. And uh, I wondered what you thought about possibility of Lam being involved. Probably not going to replace Love because he's got a good contract. He's unlikely now his stock has gone down rather than up to get the kind of job at club level that certainly he would have wanted and would have been offered before the World Cup. But do you see a place for Lam? Yeah, first of all, I don't often agree with Rummenigge, but I agree with him on that. It's been <laughs> run like amateurs. Um, look, Lam is an interesting personality, but I don't know if he has the experience to do the job right right away. But that said, I mean, one of the positions that I would like, there's two people I would like to see it go. And these are very strong statements. And that's Grindel on top, the president, um, simply because of his party connections and the way he handled the whole Mesut Özil affair. And I think we're going to talk about that very quickly, right? And, um, Oliver Bierhoff for the choosing of the, the national team, um, headquarters in Moscow, the Watutinki, the famous Watutinki national team headquarters at the World Cup. And of course, his failure to see what was going on with the team. You know, a sporting director is very much in charge of realigning the, the national team coach uh, as well. So he should have seen the things that were going on between Löw and the, the squad. He also oversaw the, 
I don't even know the right word of it. How, what do we call this? Like implosion of uh, members of staff, um, the amount of people taken to the World Cup. I think um, that's definitely the two changes I would like to see. Löw, unfortunately, is without an alternative. The only national team coach that I could see doing better than him right away would be Jurgen Klopp. And I, Chris can probably say right away, no, that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> But that's, you know, there's no alternative to live. So you have to change the people around him to give him a different setup and people that demand more from him because we know he's a great coach. But I think, um, there was, there was that weird aloofness about him. He thought it would just happen by itself. So you need people that will demand more from him. And I think you may, may have to change a bunch of positions around him. And I would start at the very top. Love is the answer. Well, there is no different answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned uh, Mesut Ozil. We should probably talk about the fact that he uh, had this meeting with the Turkish president, Erdogan, and he's released a couple of statements actually following this. Uh, for those that don't really understand what's gone on here, uh, I mean, I might be first to put my hand up there and say I don't really see why the fallout from this has been so dramatic. So what did he say? What's happened? Yeah, he spoke today and he spoke of double standards and right-wing propaganda. And I think he's not quite wrong with that. I think that this situation was handled very poorly. Now, I don't want to condone his meeting with Erdogan. I think there, there's something very questionable about it. But at the same time, he's, look, he is of Turkish descent. What his political views are, are his own. And I think people will have to just understand that not everyone is into liberal democracy all the time. I mean, we are, Germany is a liberal democracy, which allows people to have political views. That's, I think, the number one thing. And that includes people that have, that includes all German citizens, even if they have, um, if they are from a multicultural background. Look, I'm a dual citizen myself. I understand that sometimes loyalties are a little bit split. And, um, I think people have to just, realize that, okay, look, we have a sizable minority of, of Turks living in Germany. And for the most part, you know, they have done really good things for Germany as a country. They have, I mean, Chris, we spend a lot of time in Berlin. You know, the, the, the multiculturalism in Berlin is one of its greatest assets. It and is. it certainly is. So, you know, look, we then as well have, part of multiculturalism is also tolerance. And I think that is something that we did not give to Mesut Özil. And the DFB really, in my opinion, failed to properly address this issue. Because first they said, okay, this is not an issue. Obviously it was. Some people were upset. So these people should have been given an explanation and a proper statement of why Germany as a multicultural place has room for all sorts of political views. And that while we don't condone Özil meeting, Erdogan, we understand it. Boom. That would have solved all the problems. But they just said, okay, well, we just sent Özil and, and Gundogan to meet with President Steinmeier, so therefore it's not a problem anymore. Obviously, the fans didn't think that was that was a quite enough, right? And then after the World Cup was over, we have said, oh, maybe we shouldn't have nominated Özil. You know, he throws him under the bus, basically, after the tournament is over and makes him a scapegoat. That is just as wrong as not issuing a statement ahead of the tournament, right? Um, so... I think Özil is quite right at being very upset because when you look at the press and the way the whole thing was was handled, um, he's quite right at saying this this was in a lot of ways used for right-wing propaganda. We have to remember the president of the DFB is in the CDU, uh, the center-right party. So I think he has a lot of, a lot of reasons to be really upset about this. And I I hope I hope that he continues his career because Mesut Özil is a fantastic player and he he can give a lot to this national team. And we have to remember, he's played 97 games for Germany. He's he's a player that could reach 100 caps very soon. And no national team player that has given so much to our national team, no matter what his background, no matter what he's done, deserves it was given throughout the tournament, after the tournament. And I think the DFB should have done a lot better to handle the whole situation. Yeah, I think you've surmised that absolutely right. And I think you're, you're, you're correct in your assumption that if they had come out initially with those responses, it, it would have not killed it completely, but certainly the fallout would have died down a lot quicker. Uh, the International Champions Cup has been interesting. I think for a lot of fans uh, over stateside, they enjoyed the World Cup, although some of the coverage, particularly on Fox, has received some criticism. So they, they were hungry for football. There's actually been two big teams facing off in America. The ICC, nothing to do with cricket. It is, as I say, the International Champions Cup. 
why is it important for the Bundesliga as well to be present there? Well, the That's Bundesliga is, I mean, Manny, you'll know that, that they've been trying to crack America for the past few years and, and they're seeming to do it. Now, I know you're quite right how Fox got hammering um, on social media for their coverage of the World Cup. Obviously, I was in the UK and we had um, BBC and ITV which and BBC Radio 5 Live, which I thought as a trio gave fantastic coverage. So I think we were in a lucky place. But Fox does carry every single Bundesliga game live um, throughout the season. Um, and they've got a brilliant um, combination um, of guys who we know well on the show, Keith Costigan and um, Ian Joy who do a lot of games and they cover it fantastically well. So I think it's good that the Bundesliga guys are back in. Um, obviously Dortmund and Bayern. Um, Bayern have played one game outside of the States. They're also going to be playing inside of the States. Um, but it's it's ever-present. But it's the guys who have been there. I don't think I've seen Christian Pulisic over um, social media as much as I have in the past 24 hours, Manu. Um, I don't know if you've seen as much as I have. He seems to be everywhere doing interviews with everyone. And obviously he's a poster boy for the Bundesliga in North America. Yeah, Pulisic. And there was even a picture of uh, LeBron James, who's of course a massive figure in North America, you know, the basketball player for those who don't follow basketball. But I think everyone knows LeBron James wearing a Pulisic Dortmund shirt. Um, so, you know, this is this is very big to come over here to North America is is very significant. And yeah, you mentioned the the Fox World Cup coverage. I think it would help just to leave the hotel every once in a while um, <laughs> to get a better coverage um, of the tournament and the people around you because their their coverage was atrocious and they got a lot of hammering for it, not just from people watching it, but from other journalists being at the tournament. And I think this could help. The Bundesliga is their bread and butter at Fox, and I think they really need to look at how they cover it. And I think the ICC um, does a very good job over here when it comes. To, I mean, these these are just glorified renters, to be quite frank, and yet they get a lot of attention. So it, it, for me, I always I'm very excited to see these teams come over here because they play friendlies in front of I think Liverpool and Manchester City, uh, Manchester United are scheduled to play in front of 120,000 people in Michigan, right? So. These, these ICC games get a lot of attention. So the Bundesliga needs to be here. The two big teams, Bayern and Dortmund need to be here. And it's, it's a great tournament for that. And it's a great tournament for Americans because they get to see players and teams that they usually only see on television. Yeah, absolutely. I watched Borussia Dortmund play against Manchester City on Friday in Chicago. Uh, of course, the interest from a British point of view, uh, Jaden Sanchez, who left Manchester City and then was playing against his old side. I'm not sure Pep Guardiola will have taken too much from his performance to say I made a huge error there, although he did play extremely well and set up a few chances. But it's it's really hard, as you mentioned, Manny. These are glorified friendlies. It's hard to take too much from these and know how much stock to place in individual players' performances. I mean, Chris, I know you, you of course, have an interest in Dortmund. Your thoughts from the first test under new coach Lucien Favre? Well, yeah, what can really you take from from friendlies? They played a a younger Manchester City side. Um, I thought it was a good opening. I thought really what we can take from this, and I know it's only one game in pre-season, I thought Dahoud was excellent, which um, he hasn't been for, I'll say, since he left Gladbach. So that's a good one for Dortmund to, um, to start firing on for the start of this season. I think, though, we will see the next couple of games uh, how they are really going to um, deal with the coming season. The one against Liverpool will be, although it's a pre-season friendly, will be very interesting from a Dortmund side because Liverpool will play a very high press, as we know. So it'll be interesting to see how Dortmund counter that. And it'll be really interesting. And Manu, you'll know this um, better than anyone, I think, um, because Lucien Favre plays a very distinctive style of football where... Um, he won't just allow shots from anywhere. There's certain areas where he um, where he prefers shots to be taken from because there's uh, more chance of it going in. He's a bit of an XG uh, maestro. And also, he's quite happy to give teams the ball in certain areas. Um, and, and we will probably see this, I would say, um, tonight uh, in a game against Liverpool, which will be very interesting. But... I'm um, I'm looking forward to see the shape that they play in because you know when he was back in the Bundesliga previously he had some very very good football and and that's what I'm mostly looking forward to see is can he take Dortmund back to a level where they were maybe two years ago especially under Thomas Tuchel 
who obviously has moved on to PSG now. Yeah, Chris, I, I'm glad you bring that up because I actually tried to look out for this a little bit during the Manchester City game. You could see, um, especially when Dahoud and Sancho were on, that they were looking more for the, the danger areas. Instead of taking the shot um, right away, they would play an extra pass and try to get really deep into the penalty box. And I thought at times they did that quite well looking for the danger areas and the, the the areas where the scoring probabilities are quite high. And I think with Sancho and Dahoud, um, you know, Dahoud played for, for Faber, right, at Gladbach. I think the, the they have the right players for this. And I, that we have to mention it, don't we? That trick that Dahoud did on that poor Manchester City defender. Um, yeah, just unbelievable. Just a little little flick and then right through the legs. Um, very, very nice fancy footwork. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Dortmund will do with with this tournament, but on of course with the players that they're slowly feeding into the squad. Yeah, they've they brought in quite a few. Dortmund have signed uh, Delaney, Marius Wolf, Diallo, Hakimi, who we saw at the World Cup. Uh, Hits as well, the goalkeeper. Very interesting fellow, uh, the former Augsburg keeper who... Manu, I'm sure you remember this when he scuffed up the penalty spot when playing yeah. Cologne and uh, Anthony Modeste. Remember him? Henny's the goat certainly does. Uh, Modeste, uh, he missed the ensuing penalty and Hits was actually fined. I think it was a few hundred euros. He also scored against uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Let's remember this is a goalkeeper. Uh, but Bayer, Bayer Leverkusen themselves, no strangers to seeing goal-scoring keepers. Uh, younger listeners will remember reading about Hans Jörg, but we remember watching him take penalties so this is a keeper that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on and I think the way you've described Borussia Dortmund both of you they are going to be the neutrals team to watch but still no new striker what is the latest on Dortmund's striker surge and do they actually need to sign a new striker they've been linked to a few Uh, Chris what are your thoughts I think they do need a striker because um, I mean Aubameyang has moved on. Manu and I were very lucky to see him in the flesh. I've seen him in the flesh a couple of times. And what he brings or what he brought to that side, especially under Tuchel, was um, was something frightening, which it didn't seem to replace. Yarmolenko came in, and although I thought he had a very good game at Wembley when he played against Spurs, scored a cracking goal. Uh, we are there covering that for footballstart.com. He really sort of faded out after that, and then he didn't really get a chance once um, Bosch had left. So for me, there's still there's still a striker, there's still an Aubameyang-sized hole um, that needs to be filled for me. Um, and it's going to be interesting where they get it from because in order to... I mean, Aubameyang was scoring about 25-plus goals, scored 31 the other season. I think they're going to have to spend a lot of money um, to replace that. Don't forget Klopp sort of fell into that position with him to, you know, bring him from outside in and he, he flew with it. So it's going to be really interesting whether they can find a striker. I mean, who could they bring in at the moment? And, and, and that's that's the problem. Who It's not just who they're going to bring in, it's will they spend the money. I, I don't think they've spent um, as much of the Dembele money as they should have done um, to bring in to bolster the squad. So for me, they still need to splash and I don't know if they're going to do it. You know, 25, 30 million euros on a striker. But, um, I know you'll know, Maximilian Philip, I've got a lot of time for and, and maybe he's going to get a shot at that. Yeah. And you have to remember too, the way Lucien Favre plays, what he did at Gladbach, for example, he played with two false nines, right? Um, he converted Stiddle to a striker and Raphael as well. And both of them are not, were not strikers. So he, he may very well go down the route and say, look, we have so many attacking midfielders. We're just going to turn two of them into strikers and make our make us less dependent on a single striker. But at the same time, I'm with you, Chris. Uh, I think Dortmund need to sign a striker. I think um, the game is changing. We saw at the World Cup the importance of a striker, even if he just stands around in the penalty box like Giroud, for example, right? We didn't record a single uh, shot on goal throughout the entire tournament and still helped win France win the World Cup. So, so, you, so, so sometimes you just need the presence in the box. And I think that the rumor that I liked, and it's, it's a rumor that I like a lot because, um, you know, over on footballgrad.com, one of the teams that we closely covered to throughout the World Cup was Croatia and um, Mario Mandzukic. 
Um, I thought throughout the tournament, why did Bayern sell him? Um, I still think that when you look at the the time Mandzukic spent at Bayern, they won the Champions League title with Mandzukic and then they sold, sold him after Lewandowski came in. And Lewandowski bring, gives you 30 goals a season, but Mandzukic gives you 15 to 20 goals that actually matter, right? And that includes against really big sides. And I think that he is a sort of a character forward. So I was delighted to hear that there's uh, Dortmund were actually looking and bringing him in. I realize he's 32 now, but when you saw him play at the World Cup, the minutes that he put in, remember by going into the final, they played a 90 minutes more than France did because of these three extra times. And they, he still looked fresh and scored a goal. Unfortunately, he also scored an own goal. I guess. Um So he actually managed to score two goals in the World Cup final. But he's, for me... He's a character player and he's a player that could bring leadership to the side. And he's also someone with a very strong winning mentality. That look that he had in his eyes ahead of the um, semi-final against England, the, the stare of death. Um, you know, there was people shuddering around me in the press box. When I was sitting in the press box and they all the monitor uh, focused in on Mansukish era, there was a there was almost like an ooh and ah like when when people, when journalists, English journalists saw that, because he he just has that winning mentality and I think if Dortmund have a chance and they really they they're monitoring the situation quite closely from what I hear they have the chance to land him I yeah, think that'd be a fabulous yeah. signing it would be a fabulous signing he of course landed on a photographer after uh, yeah. scoring against uh, England he's actually a big presence as that photographer will know and uh, he would be a good fit don't ask Nikola Kalinic about having a finalist medal which Mandzukic of course does and the rest of the uh, Croatian team and well-deserved. You were right to follow them so closely on the website. There's also a rumour that Dortmund will sign a new midfielder as well. Axel Witzel. What do we say? Is that going to happen? It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, it's it's Funke Funke Sport is the source, and they usually mm. don't um, speculate. So there must be something to it. He plays in China. He played at um, Benfica and then at Zenit, where he was a, quite a big present in Russia. Witzel is a very good player. I mean, this Belgium side was very good at the World Cup. But Witzel is a very good player, and he's a very strong presence in midfield. And that's Chris. That's an area that we discussed many times, right? Dortmund needs someone who puts in a tackle at the right moment, someone who just has a little bit of st- steel to him. Um, that's something that we identified quite a lot, and I think Witzel can can maybe bring that to the side. Yeah, they'll need, they will need that. We saw it at, at times last season, um, and it was missing, certainly was missing from when Klopp and, and Tuchel were in charge, it was that ability to stop the opposition attack high up the field or to be able to transition it quickly. Um, from your end of the field, and, and that's something they've been missing in midfield for a while, I think, probably since Njongdan went missing. Um, but for Mandzukic, just looking at his stats, he's actually got the lowest um, minutes per goal is when he's been in Germany, 150 minutes per goal in a Bundesliga compared to 312 in Serie A um, and 162 in La Liga. He also gets a goal every 137 minutes when he played in a DFB Pokal. So I think we could say he's suited to German football. Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, fair to say. And uh, we will, of course, now touch on Bayern Munich. We mentioned that they uh, are going to be going to the United States because they beat uh, Paris Saint-Germain in uh, their first ICC match. That was in Austria, a score of three goals to one. It was all about turning it on in the second half. They will then head to the US. So what have we learned, Manu, from the first pre-season match? Of course, under their new head coach, Kovac, someone... uh, (laughs) We mentioned Croatia, of course, uh, played very well for them and, and someone that I'm sure you and I both enjoyed watching when he was a player. Yeah, um, I was watching this really closely because we all expect a paradigm shift at Bayern, right? Away from 4-2-3-1 and possession football and passing the ball around needlessly around opposition's penalty boxes to a more direct play. And uh, it was really interesting watching... I guess what was their first serious uh, friendly match against another top side um, in PSG. And I I saw a lot of 
Pep Guardiola still in this in this game. A lot of passing, a lot of possession, a lot of slow passing. Um, sort of the sort of the same things that I've been criticizing about the national team as well. The, the Bayern still seems sluggish. So I think um, the one thing that I'll take away, especially from the first 45 minutes, is Kovac still has a lot of work to do. And the first 45 minutes were were very, you know, negative if you're a Bayern fan. And they, they were, of course, down 1-0. That second half, I thought, was a lot better. Um, I thought that the the shape sort of slowly changed. Um, I, he's probably given them a half-time talk and said, look, I'm not Pep Guardiola. I don't need 95% of ball possession. I just want goals. And the second half, they played a lot more direct. And I think the one thing that I really like from this particular game is the way Renato Sanchez played. Um, he is a player that Bayern spent a lot of money for and um, haven't gotten anything from him because the the way he was integrated first under Ancelotti was a complete failure. And then he Ancelotti sent him to his former assistant to Swansea. And Chris, maybe you can talk a little bit more what happened at Swansea because you followed the Premier League a lot closer than I do. But it was a complete disaster, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, to keep it very, very short, he went and joined a side which were horrendous um, and made um, a couple of... Of, of bad errors himself and then he was kicked to the curb so I think maybe he was he was thrown under a bus really by Ancelotti by sending him to Swansea because it was never the right fit for him he should have gone and I don't, know, don't quite know if he was ready for a top six side but he certainly could have gone to a top 10 or top 12 Premier League side um, and yeah. not gone to Swansea and and just been a um, square peg in a round hole and, and it's interesting to see him come back because uh, Niko Kovac has spoken to press and said he's willing to give him a second chance. And I think he could be he could be reinvigorated under Kovac because he's trying to change the the team and trying to uh, maybe phase out is the wrong word, but he's going to have to change uh, the way Bayern play and the and the way they've set up and to bring Sanchez back and give him that chance. Um, it it could be. It could be a blessing in disguise and it'll certainly save Bayern a lot of money because I don't think they'll potentially get back what they bought him for. Yeah, he is a player. I mean, let's not forget that what he's done previously, particularly at the Euros with Portugal, the man clearly has ability. And I think personally, just from a neutral point of view, it'd be fabulous to see him actually perform at the level. We know he can again. And we'll get a chance to see if he's actually going to start the Bundesliga set to return on uh, Friday the 24th of August and the first fixture will be played between those defending champions we're talking about Bayern Munich and Hoffenheim so it doesn't get easier for Niko Kovac as manager it'll be a really fascinating opening tussle but some big questions still ahead you know for Bayern Frank Ribery who people tell me I look like and I, and I don't like that and uh, Arjen Robben both <laughs> getting older <laughs> Manu do do they actually still feature yeah, well, first I have to address the elephant in the room. You look like Frank Ribéry. <laughs> I mean, that's I, what they call me, the elephant in the room. <laughs> I need how you need to send over a picture. <laughs> I don't think I do. It's, it's very harsh. He doesn't look like Frank Ribéry. Thank you. Bless you, Chris. <laughs> um, so sorry, I have to recover from this for just one second. <laughs> well, do do they feature? Of course, we're talking about Renato yeah. Sanchez, the future. Frank Ribéry and I and Robin, very much the past. Some would say, and it's the harsh world of. Football, but it's reality. They are getting older. Do yeah. they still feature in Niko Kovac's plans this season and going forward? Well, I think they've been both told in quite strict terms that look, you're not going to play as prominent a role as you have in the past when they re- renewed their contracts because you're 34 and 35. And um, when you look at the, the, the numbers, um, when you look at the actual statistics, uh, and I'm talking about sprints and distance covered, um, both of them had a m- significant drop last year. And I think that is, that's a sign that maybe for them, I think they're going to be phased out slowly. And also you have to remember Kovac is going to shape, change the shape of this, this Bayern squad quite significantly. Um, I think he's going to make a way with 4-2-3-1 and he's going to 3-5-2. Um, remember they are very strongly linked to signing Benjamin Pavard from Stuttgart. Um, word is that a deal is actually already agreed for next summer. And they're currently trying to get them maybe to come as early as this summer um, over. So another centre-back 
for them to have enough center backs to play with three in the back, right? And Pavard is, of course, one of the revelations of the World Cup. Of course, Chris and I, we watched him all last season. We know how good of a player he was before the World Cup, but I mean, he showed at the World Cup how great of a player he can be. Still very young. So he, they want to really get him in. And so you will see a change of shape and in 3-5-2, Robbins and Ribery's role is going to change significantly as well. Because in that formation, in with five in midfield, someone like Sanchez will be a lot better suited than either Rob, Robbery, right? So I think, um, as the, that change of shape, that change of philosophy will take a good part of the season, I think. And so as the, the, the team will slowly morph from 4-2-3-1 to 3-5-2, you will see a lot less of Frank Ribery and Arian Robin in the starting 11. That's my theory anyways. And I think it makes sense. I mean, they have to, they have to change the way they play. Um, just because we saw one of the things we saw at the World Cup is that quick transition game is much more important now. And that the 4-2-3-1 in the possession game is something that's sort of slowly but surely being, um, you know, weaned out of um, your world football. Yeah, and as any players get older in any successful team, there is always that new crop that must come through. And with the national team of Germany all having pretty much to a man a bad World Cup, will that actually affect Bayern, who have so many players that represented Germany in Russia? Yeah, Chris, this is something that you were brought up. Uh, so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this first. Well, yeah, so I um, had a, uh, a think after Germany went out and just off the top of my head thought, has, you know, Bayern's dominance of the past five, six years, has it sort of stifled German football? And going through, if you take it back to after the last World Cup was won, German football was on a real big high. There was the old German Champions League final. Everybody was talking about German football. Um, and then the league, you know, it, it sort of it fractured and it split a bit. There was, there was Bayern and then there was a league without Bayern. And you take... And Bayern out, and and you've got one of the closest leagues in in Europe, and probably in the world. You throw Bayern in, and it's an annual procession at the moment, a, a procession where they have won the league. Is it by? Are they going to win it by March this year, or is it going to be by April, or or are we going to see something develop into early May? And and the problem we've had is that the Bayern players didn't cover themselves in glory in in the World Cup, and and I think that comes from them not having a challenge week in, week out. There's certain teams who step up when they play Bayern. So I think we can look around Dortmund, Hoffenheim, Leipzig, definitely in the last couple of seasons have tried to take it to Bayern. Um, Manu, we were in the stadium for that you know, fantastic um, 5-4 game that, that blew us away that day. Uh, so there are teams that will take a challenge to Bayern, but most most teams are scared of them. You just look at Hamburg, who you know rolled over yearly for Bayern they would just look at the fixtures and write those two games off. And I think a lot of teams have done that. And that's given Bayern the ability to just go out and win. And if Bayern are beaten these days, sometimes we end up talking about why were Bayern beaten? Is it because Bayern had an off day? It's never about um, how good the other team was. It's always about, oh, yeah, but, you know, they, they were beaten. I mean, I think if we look at the last Pokal, Manu, I think is the first time I've really seen Bayern beaten properly. But once again, we were talking again after that how poor they were rather than how well Eintracht Frankfurt played, which they played fantastically well. So I think that's bred um, a whole situation around Bayern, which has developed into the national side. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Kovac deals with that because I think quite a lot of Bayern players go onto the pitch and knowing they're going to win. Um, now, whether that comes through hard play or whether it comes through a contentious decision late on that, Think about when I was back in Stuttgart last season before the winter break. You know, there's some contentious goals there, and there's a contentious penalty, etc. So, um, it, it's it's a it's a tough one. But I think now, Bayern this season, we could see a very different side than we've seen the past six. And I'm hoping, I really do hope, that come the winter break, we're looking at maybe Bayern being third or fourth. And I don't say that because I'm anti-Bayern. I say that because I want the league to be strong and I think it would really help the league this year after Germany's fallout of the World Cup is if everybody's talking about a new winner of the league now be that Dortmund again be it Leipzig which I know would rattle a lot of people throughout Germany I think that might be good to rattle a few people or someone like Hoffenheim 
Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Uh, or, or Hanover 96. Let's just uh, throw, <laughs> throw them in there as well. Hey, Bobby Wood, you know, it could, it could happen. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned, of course, <laughs> it really does for Bobby. He's gone, he's gone there on loan. Uh, so you mentioned, of course, the uh, the Pokal final, Eintracht Frankfurt, then were managed by Nico Kovac, worth mentioning. Uh, Jerome Boateng could be leaving the club for the club that they just beat in that ICC friendly Paris Saint-Germain apparently Manu am I right reading that he's fallen out with Mats Hummels his national team centre-back partner that's been the word yeah there has been um, disagreements that actually go back to that cup final because apparently there was already a lot of discontent within the in the Bayern squad that then carried over to the national team so yeah Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng had um, didn't weren't on great talking terms throughout the World Cup, which would have, of course, explain how, why, why they were so disjointed in the back at times at the World Cup. And then, of course, also disjointed, uh, for some games at the, for Bayern. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. The word is that there is a chance that Boateng could be leaving. Boateng, of course, has now for a couple of seasons already made noise about wanting to leave. And, um, Tuchel is apparently very interested in bringing him over to PSG. So that is a good chance that that could happen. Yeah, but do you actually need to like the player that you play alongside? Of course, famously, Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham couldn't stand each other, yet, you know, it still worked. Well, you should be professional enough for it not to be a problem. But um, I guess when when there's a general discontent in the squad, I mean, this wasn't this was one of many issues we're talking about, right? And at Bayern and, of course, the national team. I think it adds, you know, maybe to to add to the, the comments I made earlier about Germany, it wasn't one thing that went wrong. It was lots of little things that add to one big problem. And I think that's that's the same thing. It's just one little thing that adds to a big problem. So Let's be uh, honest. The, the biggest talking point next season is going to be managers pulling their hair out at players playing Fortnite. Yeah. That's going to be it. That's going to be the talking point yeah. right throughout the season. Actually, one of the talking points for right now uh, we need to talk about this uh, Canadian wunderkid, Alfonso Davis. Manu, you get to watch him because where else would you live but uh, Canada? So uh, are you are you living in Vancouver? Is that right? You can watch him play for his team, the Whitecaps. I, I live in Victoria, but I do cover the Whitecaps because Vancouver isn't far. And uh, I ride on the Whitecaps for Pro Soccer USA, so I want to give them a shout out right there. <laughs> Um, I'm their Vancouver correspondent, so I do get to see a lot of Alfonso Davis, and um, a lot of people in Germany, back in Germany, are asking, "Who is this kid?" And I can say uh, with quite great confidence, he's he's a fantastic player. He debuted in Major League Soccer when he was 15, and yes, we all have the um, the first memory of the first wonder kid in Major League Soccer, Freddie oh, Adu. Yeah, yeah I have to I have to address her <laughs> again. We have to address the elephant in the room. But the league, Major League Soccer has changed a lot since Freddie Adu. I mean, this is 10 years ago. This is over 10 years ago. Major League Soccer is a very different league today than it was then. It's a league that has grown quite significantly and making great strides towards becoming a more professional league and going away from being a league that's for retirement uh, footballers rather than, you know, trying to become rather a league for bringing in young Central Americans who are trying to make a name for themselves. And Vancouver is one of those clubs. They, they sign uh, predominantly players from, from Latin America, young players that want to make the next step in their careers and want to play in a more professional environment. Because when it comes to stadium, infrastructure, training, MLS is one of the best in the world because that's what North Americans do, right? They try to, to really put a perfect framework around everything that they do. So um, Vancouver have a huge academy system. They have um, around 2,000 academies all spread all across this country. And um, one of the players that they discovered was Alfonso Davis, who is a refugee from Liberia. And he's now a Canadian citizen and has played in MLS for three, four years. And this is the year he's now 17 and he's put on a lot of muscle mass ahead of this season. He's grown quite a lot too. And he's finally being able to marry his huge technical abilities because technically he's always been two or three steps ahead of everyone in this league to actually being able to do it because he has the physical strength to go past the player now. And um, he scored three goals, six assists this season, which again for a 17-year-old is very good. And he's not playing at the best team right now. Vancouver is struggling this year. So he's been the only shining light there. And uh, this is a player that 
um, Christoph Biermann in his book Match Plan, um, they, he went to one of the statistic groups where they track you players and look at the numbers. And this is a player that had similar numbers than Cristiano Ronaldo at the same age. So this is, this is a real talent. Yes, he's not playing in the most prominent league on the planet, but this is a talent that whoever will get him, and it looks like it's going to be Bayern, is going to get maybe one of the most prominent talents in, in world football at the moment. But, you still need to sell to Bundesliga fans. Look, we're spending possibly 15 million euros on a guy from Major League Soccer. That's the bottom line, right? This is yeah. what I try to explain to other Vancouver Whitecaps journalists and people that cover the team on a regular basis. Like, well, we have the greatest talent. It's like, yeah, but try to explain to journalists and experts back in Germany who do not read Christoph Biermann's match plan that you're just spending 15 million euros on a kid from, from Canada that no one ever heard of. Yeah, but like you say, he has enjoyed, I'm just reading here, a breakout for last year. Gold Cup with his national team. He scored yeah. three goals, won the Golden Boot, best young player, team of the tournament that he was part of, a full Canadian international. Incredible. Uh, by the way, <laughs> we're talking about Freddie Adu. Chris, you might remember this. Uh, do you remember the, the, the young player who's now not so young, he's 43, but when he first burst onto the scene, a Ghanaian footballer by the name of Nee Lamptey, who was described for many years as the next Pele. I'm just always so conscious of <laughs> when we hype yes, up young the players. Next Pele. I think what well, there's not the only thing that's worse than the next Pele is the Iranian Messi or the Greek Maradona. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the worst one. Oh yeah, he's the yeah. he's the Liberian Ronaldo. That's that's brilliant. It's true. There is there was a lot of that, of course, during the World Cup, and uh, none of them actually actually. No, maybe, maybe all of them lived up to uh, the Messi of the World Cup, but uh, certainly not the Messi and Ronaldo that we love and adore so much on a week-to-week basis. Now, we, we talk about players to watch, exciting transfers. There's, there's one I just, well, maybe a couple I want to throw at you. Uh, Mainz have pulled off a bit of a coup by bringing in Jean-Philippe Mateta from uh, Olympic Lyon. This is a four-year deal, and he's a striker. And for those that don't know, he was on loan at Le Havre in the second division last season, scored 17 goals. So I think Mites have uh, made a really intelligent signing with Mateta, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's going to be one that I want to keep an eye on. I'm also excited by uh, Werder Bremen's signing of Josh Sargent, the USA striker. Now, he's the name a lot more people will know about because he scored in his debut for both club and country. So, Manu, you can probably tell us a little bit more about uh, Josh Sargent and how excited Verda fans should be. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of excitement about him in stateside. And I, I'm glad you're actually bringing that up because the issue that Alfonso Davis will face if he signs for Bayern today, right? He's a non-EU citizen, so he wasn't able to play last year because they, they can't play until they're 18. And this is... I need to add this to the Davis story. He's he's not turning 18 until November, so he wouldn't be able to play in any competitive in any competitive fixture for Bayern until November. And Sargent is finally 18, so we'll see a lot of him, I think, at Werder Bremen this year because um, I think they've really put in the gamble to say, okay, like, look, we're going to sign you now, and yes, it's unfortunate you won't be able to play for half a year, um, but. I th- from what you hear from Bremen, they are really excited. And I think we, when we look at Weston McKinney at Schalke last year, we just threw him right in and he played a lot of minutes at Schalke. I think Werder Bremen will do the exact same thing with Sargent. They're going to give him a lot of minutes. And again, the, the Major League Soccer is changing. The academy systems here are changing significantly. They're producing a lot of young, good players. And Sargent is one of them. Yeah, it could be the next uh, Bobby Wood. Just <laughs> Um, well, hopefully <laughs> not for him, because... Uh, <laughs> hey, I've still got a lot of hope for Score Bobby. Score a screaming goal on his debut. Do I, I want to add to Bobby Wood. He's not an MLS product, though. He's an 1860 product. They brought him over to to Munich at a very young age. So we can't we can't put this one on MLS. We can blame it. But... <laughs> I'm really pleased, of course, that you, like me, actually, I, I love the MLS. I know it gets... It's a lot of stick, but uh, I spent quite a bit of time in Seattle, and one of the players there, DeAndre Yedlin, came through the youth system and was someone I had the pleasure of watching live on many occasions, and I was so pleased to see him actually succeed in Europe, and I, I really hope it's, of course, the same story for Alfonso Davis. From what you're telling me about him, the Canadian could go on in the Bundesliga uh, as a youth product and, and come up and be someone that the MLS can say to youngsters who maybe are considering a career in baseball or American football or basketball, look, you can succeed in soccer as well, and, and that would mean we don't have future World Cups without the U.S. national team 
even taking part because they just or Canada. Uh, or Canada. Canada hasn't and, uh, been at the World Cup since 1986. And uh, Davis, of course, he gave a speech at the opening um, opening congress of the World Cup in Russia about the tournament going to the to North America in 2026. So Davis mm-hmm. spoke. This is Davis gave a really good speech. It's online. You can look it up about the importance of the tournament coming back to North America for young kids like himself and how, as a refugee, he came to North America seeking hope and how he's now delighted that he's probably going to be able to represent his country, Canada, at this stage. And I think you, you mentioned the, the changing and the, 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 the change that is happening in North America. It's, it's quite interesting. And I think Davis could be very much the face of that. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Now, let's look at some players that are ones to watch, upcoming players. That There's one that we were chatting about off-air before we started called uh, a guy I don't really know too much about, uh, Michael Cousance. Again, I, I hope I've pronounced that right. All I know from reading about him online is he's from Strasbourg, which I always forget if it's in France or Germany, but I think it's France. Yeah, it's definitely France. Let's don't confuse that one. Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to open up old wounds. Chris, <laughs> that, Chris, that is a player we liked a lot last year already. Cousins, he was he was fantastic at times, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He uh, so I spoke to Hal about before the show started, before we started recording. He um he, he's very very good at, at spotting a through ball. He's he's got a lot of speed. He's he reminds me of 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 a a player who should be about ten years older. He's got a lot of of thought to his game. He does a lot of not overthinking, but he he thinks a lot, and and that's something that I think for such a uh, for such a young age. I mean, I forget he's only eighteen. He's certainly someone who will be in and around the French national side now for probably the next European championships. Um, so I'm, yeah, it, it's it's going to be good. I mean, I I saw him play in uh, the back end of the. I think, Manu, it was when I was over at Gladbach for that game where I just about got home in a snow drift, just about got back to Wuppertal where I was staying, and, and he played very well that day. Um, and, yeah, I'm hoping he's going to get a lot more game time this season and be critical in that midfield area for, for Gladbach because they need a player who can who can sort of control that central midfield area, and they didn't seem to have that at times last season, which... Which is why, unfortunately, when you watched Borussia Mönchengladbach play, you didn't know who you're going to see because one day they could be fantastic, and then and then weekend after they could be absolutely dreadful. But if they can sort of um, get him playing a lot more, he was on the bench a few times last season. He had a, a slight ankle problem at one point, um, but he only played bit parts. Eleven minutes against Schalke, you know, he played sixty minutes against uh, Wolfsburg. I'd like to see him play a lot more ninety minutes. I think this season could be a bit of a standout breakout season for him but if you've not anyone listens not seen him play definitely when Gladbach are playing keep your eye on um, on Kusantz because I, th- I think he's going to be one for the future. Yeah you mentioned uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, with good reason of course who we're speaking about but uh, they actually have lost uh, Yannick Vestergaard who's gone to Southampton so, uh, so now I'll get to see a bit more of him uh, but they need now, of course, to replace that key centre back, and I'm just wondering if you guys, either of you, are hearing any rumours about who they might be potentially signing. Yeah, they're definitely looking. Um, they, on the other hand, in Elvedi, someone who played out wide, they already have a centre back that can fulfil that role, and I think that that's the reason why Gladbach ended up selling Westergaard because they were quite confident that they had enough depth in that position to to deal with. Um, his departure, right? And then move in other players from other positions to play there. Now, that said, I think there's always a chance, right? That you, you're going to bring in another center back. And what I'm hearing is, uh, they're looking at Barcelona's Malone, a Brazilian, 22 year old Brazilian who could come in either on a loan deal or a permanent transfer. Um, but you have to remember that money that they, that they got for Westergaard was spent on, uh, Alessandra Pilea, um, the striker oh, yeah, from, from Nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. Very good player. Um, we have actually have a scouting report up on him because one of the people on the Football Grad Network is Thomas Farines, who watches uh, League Or almost religiously and is, is a, used to work as a scout uh, for Carlton. And uh, he, every once in a while, provides us with really good scouting articles. So there is a scout article up on Alessandra Player on um, Fußballstadt.com. So a lot of the money went into that striker. Um, they, they paid a, quite a lot of money for him. So... <laughs> 
I think any kind of center back that they're going to bring in now will be um, maybe someone on loan or someone young that they can develop. Yeah, that's always what you hope for as as a fan. And uh, yeah, I'm a fan of a computer game. It's called Football Manager. There'll be people oh, that know about it. And I waste far too much of my life, uh, just as my wife, uh, playing that. In fact, I don't even know if she still lives in the house. Uh, but uh, there's a player on there whose name I always look for. And it's Havertz, Kai Havertz of uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Anyone who plays Football Manager will know this is a, a wonder kid and someone who is very luckily in real life actually lives up to the hype and uh, I'm hearing he's definitely someone that this season will probably be a breakout season for the attacking midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chris, this is a guy that's probably going to feature in the national team now, right? With the changes that are happening at yeah. the DFB. And also, by Leverkusen have done very well to keep hold of him because he's had three or four Premier League sides sniffing around him as well. And Leverkusen are going to be the team to watch. I'm going to throw in a crazy prediction again. They're going to fight for the title. <laughs> you said that well, last season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw in uh, Hanover 96 as a team to watch. Uh, there's a bit of a recurring theme here, and um, that's what I'm sticking to. <laughs> Guys, uh, before we close, is there any other players to watch ahead of the new season that you'd like to bring our attention to? Chris, have you got anyone up your sleeve? Um, well, he's not up my sleeve, but he's not too far <laughs> away from um, from where I um, originate from, and that's Luckman at Everton, who um, there's a lot of traction for him moving to Leipzig at the moment. I don't think it's any secret that RB Leipzig won him back. Obviously, he was on loan there last season for a part of it. Um, they won him back so much that they've not taken his name off the locker at Cotterweg, which is Leipzig's training ground. Um, Leipzig players have been um, asking him, and I w this isn't my phrase, by the way. This is a phrase that is on Instagram, uh, on Instagram. Where you at, bro? And the picture of his um, of his locker. So Leipzig players want him back. He himself wants to go back. He's not travelled to Portugal um, for Everton's training camp because he has a slight injury, a little like Felipe Coutinho had an injury before he went to Barcelona. Um, and the word um, from both Merseyside and from Germany is that it will be agreed this week for around about 20 million euros. Um, Which would be almost double what Everton paid for him. Because as you know, Chris, my uh, sort of bread and butter is uh, lower league English football. And I yes. actually saw him score his first goal for Charlton Athletic when they lost 3-2 to uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. And uh, I think it was December 2015. And then, of course, he went for that big money move to Everton, it was around about 8 million, 11 million, something like that. And now he's going to get this move, which I think he deserves because he hasn't been utilized correctly at Everton. And I think he'll go on to not only be a superstar, but actually I think he'll go on and help his national team uh, when we win the Euros and the World Cup. I think, to be honest, I think you're quite right there. And speaking to some people uh, in and around Everton themselves, um, Luckman is not happy to stay. He wasn't happy with his treatment, first of all, by Ronald Koeman. And then most definitely he wasn't impressed when Sam Allardyce came in, which is why he looked for uh, a loan pretty much straight away. And, and he got it at Leipzig and he settled into Leipzig. He can see the way they play football. He can see the way it suits him. I mean, Manu, you and I were in the Olympia Stadion for his um, final game against um, Hertha Berlin where he was my man of the match, and I think he was just outpipped as your man of the match because uh, because he came off a little earlier. But um, he's been fantastic, Luckman has, and it's all looking now that he will be moving um, to Germany probably this week. Well, it'd be fascinating to see. There's so much to look forward to. Uh, won't we be Borussia Mönchengladbach glad that football's back? <laughs> yes, and a pun, a famous Hal Stewart pun. I had to have one just for you, Chris. I'll try and get some more in, of course, if you guys will ever have me back. Uh, Manu, anything finally from you, sir? Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, we're, we're probably going to be back on our regular schedule now for this podcast and um, all the other podcasts that we're going to do this season. Um, there's going to be some changes, but Football Grad should be back on, up and running um, pretty soon as well. And uh, the articles are coming back on foosballstart.com. I know, Chris, you're on a couple of stories. I'm on a couple of stories. So yeah, just stay tuned. Follow us at Football Guard Live. I think that's really where, where the action is. Yes, thank you very much both. Gagan Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I've been Hal Stewart and uh, thank you very much for listening. 
Whether they'll have me back or not, well, that remains to be seen. And uh, wishing you all an exceptionally good weekend and rest of the week. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.